with me tonight, we have the usual face of Peter Ray Allison. Good evening, everyone. And our special guest, Matthew Webb. Howdy. Howdy. You sound very American. Thank you. <laughs> I, 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 you're joining us from Texas, I believe. Yes, I am from, uh, I was born and raised in Texas. I'm coming to you live from Austin, Texas. Nice. I've got a friend, a Northern Irish friend, who uh, currently resides in Houston, and he's the most he's the most American non American you're gonna get. He's like he, he got he's got guns and he's got a hat and he's just sort of you know <laughs> fully embracing being Texan at this moment. <laughs> My so, cowboy hat is not here. Otherwise, I would wear it for you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, Mr. Webb, tell me about yourself. Who are you? What do you do? Give us something. My amazing. name. Yeah, my name is Matthew Webb. I am a partner in a company called uh, Jackalope Live Action Studios, and we do very high-end live action events uh, or LARP events here in Texas and around the country, uh, basically creating these like high-end theatrical uh, LARP events for people. And we are partners with uh, Paradox Interactive. We have a we do licensed Vampire the Masquerade events, and we're also partners with Artalsorian doing licensed Cyberpunk twenty twenty events for them. So hang on, I did I did actually bring you on to talk about the vampire, but I'm a massive fan of Cyberpunk. Oh, thank you. Tell me how you kind of bring about the licensed Cyberpunk twenty twenty Cyberpunk Red and. Um, events. How did that come about? Oh, uh, it was just a series of conversations where we talked to Alar Talsorian, we traded emails with him, we had some one-on-one stuff online, and eventually they were like, sure. Uh, they looked at the kind of events we ran, and they said, we want that kind of quality <clears throat> experience, and we're, we want to partner with you. And that was pretty much how it worked. And, you know, Maximum Mike is a fantastic and amazing guy. I got to talk to him a few times. And it was a, just a business conversations because this is a we this is a business we run. It's not like uh, a lot of LARPs are kind of hobbies. And I love those LARPs, don't get me wrong. But this was kind of like, you know, hashing out just like any license deal for any sort of licensed RPG product. That's fantastic. Now, before we get into the meat of the conversation, could you just stand up? Oh, it's standing up. But are you sure that jacket you're wearing? Because that is a fantastic jacket. Oh, this is my game runner jacket. Um, this has got my pronoun pin. It's got patches from various games I've run and just various things people have given me. Uh, the weirdest thing on it is these are the um, now discontinued Girl Scout patches for storytelling. <sighs> Brilliant. The Boy Scouts don't have a storytelling path. Wow. I don't know why. It sounds ridiculous. And on the back, I recognize a, a certain image. Yeah, that's from yeah, the Vampire First Edition. Yep, yeah, that's very cool. Yeah, and uh, this is actually a <laughs> memorial patch for a friend of mine who passed away who was a huge LARPer. So uh-huh. he comes with me, and uh, this is my game running jacket. So he comes to me at all with all the games that I run. Oh, that's really sweet. Noxie was a great guy. Yeah. Anyway, so so apologies for that diversion, but like as before, we got started. I saw that the graphic on the back of your jacket. I recognize that. Oh yeah, yeah. Actually, that's a T-shirt that got cut up. Onyx Path actually sells them. You can go to the Onyx Path uh, Redbubble store, and they still sell all the classic T-shirt patterns, and you can pick those up still. Oh, nice. So yeah, Jackalope LARP is a lot more than just LARP, isn't it? It's yeah, it's not just turning up with your mates 
uh, having a bit of roleplay, having a bit of a sword fight. This is quite different. Yes. Uh, it's first and foremost, it's a community. Um, we go through a lot of onboarding people and making sure that they understand the Jackalope way of doing things. And Jackalope specializes in consent-based LARPing as opposed to conflict-based LARPing. So we do not have sword fight contests. We do not have what you would call boffer play. And we do not have the more traditional parlor LARP sort of rock, paper, scissors style vam yeah. vampire games. What we do is everything in the game happens because you consent to it happening to you. Um, you pre-negotiate with other players how to how you want scenes to turn out and how you want them to work out. And that's how that works. And so it's a very different sort of experience than what you might normally associate with LARPing because it takes on a much more theatrical and like character and story focused style. Because what we do is we tell people like, it's okay to lose. In fact, you're encouraged to lose. We have this phrase called play to lose or play to lift where you're trying to play in such a way that creates a more immersive and uh, a more immersive and more story-like experience for people. And having those moments where you lose are just as important as you win because people who win all the time are very boring and have very boring lives. So these consent-based systems, there have been games run with them in the United States, but we're one of the uh, premier studios for doing that sort of stuff. And we're the ones who are doing most of the work in the vampire space with that. What just for the um, people who are unfamiliar with the term, what is onboarding exactly? Oh, onboarding. So we do workshops for every single game, like our premiere event, which is the night in question, which is a Sabbat horror event. It's set in 1998 and it features the monstrous sort of uh, the bad guys of the vampire, the vampire, the masquerade universe taking over this rave out in the country. And it's this very uh, from dusk till dawn uh horror experience but we do like three hours of workshops before then teaching people how to consent to physical contact how to play fight how to engage with this world and how to treat your fellow players and we kind of have a phrase uh, <laughs> that we make people repeat which is uh people are more important than larp and we kind of imbue you with that value that you're really there to share an awesome experience with people and create an experience together rather than in uh, most like traditional style games it's kind of you against the world or you against other players and this is very much like no we're coming together for a night to tell an awesome story together and explore these characters each other and we're partners in doing that and that's kind of how we pull people into how how to play these consent-based games. And it's a really powerful and like really incredible experience when it happens where everybody is kind of on the same page. I'm, I'm not, right. So I am not fully up in uh, to my in my LARP knowledge. I play Dungeons and Dragons on a Thursday night with, uh, with Pete and some of the other groups. Uh, LARP is something I have seen, the fantasy style ones. And and in fact, the first ever sort of live action role playing type thing I experienced was Vampire the Masquerade when I was in university because yeah. the guys who did that, uh, they were doing this sort of kind of rock paper scissors thing, uh, yeah. sort of kind of do combat and stuff, um, and I, I I vividly remember that. But what what do, you, you talk about consent uh, a consent game? I I don't understand what. Can you explain that to me? I, I'm not sort of grasping it. 
Sure. So uh, with the game that you saw with rock, paper, scissors, that's a conflict based game, right? It's more like like in board games, it's uh, it's not collaborative. It's uh, you're contesting against each other in some way. And so if I want to hit you, right, hit your character, um, you know, LARPs do that in two ways. They either use a buffer weapon and you actually physically go through like the physical contest of doing that. Or you play rock, paper, scissors and do some sort of system in which there is a winner and a loser and the winner gets what they want and the loser doesn't. And in a consent based game, what what happens is I say to you, hey, I want to hit your character and I want to knock the you know, I want to ring their bells and knock you to the ground and you know shout at you. And you can say no or you can say sure. But I get up and I sock you on and we toss on the floor and then. Uh, we get pulled apart and you say, okay. And I say, okay to that. And then we play that out because that's what we consented to. That's what we negotiated out. And what happens in those games is it becomes, I have to sell you on what I want to do to you. And it has to serve some sort of story purpose and it has to work for a work for both characters in some way. And that's what makes it a consent-based system is that you consent to it and everyone can say no to what happens to it. And the cool thing about that is that because there's so much control and everyone controls like their own levels of escalation, there's a lot more sort of escalation and story beats that you can explore there because not because you don't really have to be afraid of losing your character. You don't have to be afraid of your character going in a direction you don't want because you have so much control over what happens. You can go in some really cool directions. So it's, there's no competition. It's literally, uh, it is purely story driven and trying to make that narrative as interesting uh, as possible. Yeah. Yeah. And like you can pre-negotiate scenes. Like one of the things that happens in our games is people sometimes <laughs> months ahead of time say, Hey, I want your and my character to get into a sword fight and they get into a sword fight, but it's stage acted. We actually had two people who were familiar with stage sword acting and they had like a cage match with broadswords at our last game. And it was played out. There was like a blood, there's fake blood packets that went off. They actually put through this whole effort. And it was this great thing because it was two vampires basically deciding to finally have it out with each other while they're surrounded with barbed wire, chain link fences and people screaming at them. And it was a very kind of Thunderdome sort of moment. And all of that was negotiated like a month ahead of time. And they actually <laughs> spent the night before playing out and the guy who lost agreed to lose he agreed to collapse into you know a no bloody mess at the end of it it was a great moment and you know he got to go out with an absolute bang it was fantastic so so what about the the so basically in our dnd games um they're very you know these guys are very attached to their characters um you know if anything happens to their characters you, i i could i get the impression that things wouldn't go down too well so how does that work in a game like that where you're sort of encouraged for your characters to sort of lose like you said so you um how how did people feel about that uh well one of the big differences is this a one shot right nobody gets out alive everybody um everybody dies at the end of the night and you know or everybody all the characters disappear at the end of the night you're done so if you die an hour ahead of time but you die gloriously you're still kind of on the winning team you win if everyone has a great time right, right? Okay. and 
you know, if you really want your character to live to the end of the night, you can arrange that. You know, there is such a thing as just getting a good old fashioned butt kicking. But um, what you get is we actually tell people, listen, nobody gets out of this with their character. Every all these characters go away at the end of the night. So drive them like you have drive them like a stolen car while you're being chased by the cops. You know, it's a demolition derby. Um <laughs> And it helps that all these characters are pre-written. You're assigned a character that is written by the staff. And all these characters are kind of set up to uh, go off. So everyone hits the ground going 90 miles per hour in our games. And they're all set up to be in conflict with one another. And they're all set up with something to do, like, immediately. And that is part of the, you know, beauty of the game. And yeah, because I remember play, playing um, the UK Vampire um, LARPs. And I can't really UK as it was known at the time, back in the late 90s, early 2000s. And <laughs> one of the best moments I've ever had was playing a Ravnos in the, um, Camarilla, with the Camarilla group. And all I did for one night was I played cards. I didn't go out and, you know, you know like politic, you know, attack people or, you know, just get, you know, get stuck in. I, like, I just sat there, played cards with all the other characters. And it was great because it was just pure role play. Yeah, and this kind of allows you to also have that action while also having the role play aspect. Yeah. Um, how does that, I mean, it's been like the consent in advance, but how does the consent work when in the when you're in the game? So like, cause I imagine it can be quite jarring when someone comes up to you and goes, oh, excuse me, can we quick, quickly negotiate this? You'd be surprised how quickly it goes. I think okay. uh, we treat, we teach people to say, you know, you cross your fingers and you say negotiation violence and they respond negotiation violence. And it's often very, very quick. And it's certainly slower than, or certainly faster than any sort of mechanical, uh, you know, <laughs> figuring out of a fight. So go, we teach people how to do this quickly, but comprehensively. And sometimes it takes a little bit longer, but uh, for the most part, it is, it's not very jarring, right? It, 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 keep, it goes very, very, very quickly. And we teach people how to do it like in a concise and, but a concise but forward-looking manner that that you know fully explains what you're going to do without you know blocking the entire scene up. Yeah, so you leave it open for the the other person to kind of negotiate back and sit, find a common middle ground. Right, right. So you start out like we teach keywords as part of what we teach, where you say negotiation and the general thing you want to negotiate, like negotiation, violence, negotiation, intimacy, because it's like, you know, if you want to kiss somebody or something that also needs to be negotiated yeah. and they repeat it back to you, you talk about it and it ends when both sides say agreed and then you do it. Okay. So, so, the, right. So I can get my head around this because this is a completely different new world, a new world for me. Um, so is this negotiation uh done pre-game or is this during the game so you're gonna i'm gonna do this are you okay with that and then it happens or is there sort of like a a sort of uh, each person has a sort of kind of script that they kind of turn around and go well i would like to do this and i would like to do this are you okay with that and then it plays out like a script uh in the game a little bit of both of the last two that you described it happens in game you can pre-negotiate stuff just to be clear but the negotiation in game is kind of like hey do you want to do that thing we discussed and then you say yes but you can negotiate in game and basically say this is what i want to do and the person can come back and say okay 
but don't do this, do this instead. And you figure that out and then it happens. And then you play out that negotiated action. And, you know, there's small variations. I say, I'm going to play punch you and you're going to knock me over, but it turns out I fell into a chair. But, you know, that kind of stuff doesn't really break the flow of the, the negotiated action because you're playing out a scene as part of, a part of a story that you set before you. So it definitely happens in game and it would have to happen in game because when you have 150 people playing a like vampire rave gone wrong you're never going to be able to pre like slate everything that's going to happen but then you have much more elaborate like negotiated moments that can be negotiated like way ahead of time one thing i want to ask is like how you mentioned like, you know, the characters are created in advance and assigned to the players how much of their arc within that one shot is pre-designated like how much is it mapped out or is it kind of just left deliberately you're playing this character he got they've got to do this how you get there is up to you um it really depends on the game like in the night in question which is our horror event we have general (laughs) we have themes that we give you and problems and various issues like you know you hate this person or you're in love with this person um, or, you know, you're trying to prove, prove yourself to whoever, um, or you're trying to set up a drug deal and we give you those kind of things, but those are all preset. And then we just let the chaos happen and we just set everyone loose. Sometimes things are more prescribed and you are required for certain things to happen by the end of the game. So, but in the night in question, the overall night has an arc and when certain songs play on the dance floor, the rules of the game change. Oh, that's that's a neat way of kind of controlling the plot. Right. And so, like, at the first third of the night in question, you're no one's allowed to embrace everyone and all the vampires incognito because the majority of the characters are mortals that are going to get trapped there and, and mass embraced by vampires. And then uh, in the second third of the game, you know, which is signified by the band playing or a certain song or the uh, we've done the lights on the dance floor gone red. Um, then you're allowed to embrace one person. And then uh, one song that is scoured into the brain of all of our players is Ballroom Blitz, <laughs> which is the signal that, OK, we've taken over enough. You can go and just mass slaughter and we've taken over the rave. And that's when, when Ballroom Bits plays is a moment in the game in which everyone just goes crazy and like people get like, you know, sucked dry in the dance floor and like, you know, attacked. And these are all things that are pre-negotiated out and stuff. And that's when everything goes crazy. And uh, but this this song that is out of place in this 90s rave starts playing and that sets the beats between the various acts of the game. So that game itself has an act structure, but we don't tell people that they individually have to do certain things at certain times. I see. That's quite neatly done because I like the way you don't explicitly tell people, oh, it's third act now. You just basically play this track and suddenly... Everyone knows that it's the third deck. That's really neatly done. Yeah, and it doesn't break the immersion or the exactly right because the idea is that this is something the vampires have already figured out for themselves. Yeah, I mean, I was I've been to like several LARPs um, here in the UK, most most notably Norwegian Trust and the Gathering and at uh, Locker Park. 
But this feels like an entire uh, new level comp- compared to typical UK LARPs. This seems much bigger scale. Um, I don't think that it's bigger scale than ones like Vampire or Empire and stuff, mm. uh, as far as number of people. But I I can't speak to UK LARPs because I've never <laughs> been to one, so I don't want to I don't want to yeah. like say, oh yeah, I'm better than them. But there's, uh, <laughs> Go on, just there's, say it. <laughs> I'm really not. It's like it's not a matter of being better. It's a matter of this is a very different sort of theatrical yeah, experience. Yeah, very different. Right. And I played in the I played in, you know, the rock, paper, scissors games and I played in the wacky bat sort of just go out and do line battles with each other's games. And I love those. Those are but it's it's a completely different flavor. It's like saying I like racing games and first person shooters. Are they the same? No, they're completely different. Right. How did Jackalope Lock come about? Because this seems feels like a very bespoke and specific company not company especially so about five years ago me and my friend steve metz who's the one of the other creative partners in the project um decided that we wanted to start running these kind of games and these games were already popular in uh europe especially in the nordic countries and i had played in several that were run uh kind of imported into here by some friends of mine, uh, Bjarke, uh, Bjarke Peterson, and Johanna and Johanna. Uh, hi, if you're watching. Um, and they kind of got us in, uh, they got sold me on this style of game. So I went to my friend Steve and I said, I really want to start running these kind of games. We, I've you know, done experimental LARPs and kind of like, uh, like black box sort of LARPs and written a few and i wanted to start running these the higher end sort of experiences what are black box larps before we go any further <sighs> uh black box larps are way less ambitious like setting wise yeah. and they're often little tiny very concentrated games for like five or six or maybe ten people and it's like as if you could play them in a black box theater oh, but yeah. they're very they, they're very avant-garde sometimes they're very uh conceptual um there's ones that are there's one that i wrote called shades where you're literally just ghosts trying to remember who they were and how they died and why they died um and it's like just a three or four hour experience and it's played just in your plain clothes and it's much more like almost a improvisational theater experiment Okay, uh, thank you. So, sorry, I just need to kind of clarify that, but okay. Oh, no, there's this entire, like, strange, like, ecosystem of different types of LARPs that all have this common idea of wouldn't it be cool to play a character that and embody it physically in some sort of space, and that goes all the way from, like, your parlor games and, you know, the, the you know, the Boffer-style games to these black box games, which are very conceptual and very character-based, to these, you know, high-impact theatrical events like we run through Jackalope. And so when Jackalope started, we um, started conversations with several groups of people. We started a conversation with the uh, World of Darkness team over at Paradox, which we had uh, worked with uh, for their Enlightenment in Blood Berlin game. Um, we uh, started conversations with Alsorian. We even, uh, our first game was actually a charity game that was written uh, with the help of two bit games who did uh, a war of our, uh, this war of mine. And we did. Yeah, we did a game based on this war of mine called uh, A War of Our Own, 
which is about the civilian experience in a war zone. And we raised, uh, I believe, $3,000 for children in conflict wow. for that mm -hmm. game, which Congratulations. Uh, helps get clothing and educational materials to children in refugee camps. And uh, it was hard to think of a more worthy cause than that. Um, yeah. And I'm really proud of that to this day. Fantastic. I mean, um, I think like you, you've alluded to Paradox. I mean, it's and obviously that has been the official vampire uh, LARPs for you. How did that come about exactly? Because that's really taken off for you guys, it seems. Um, so we started working with them. We were brought in to help with uh, World of Darkness Berlin, which was a big um, vampire, the masquerade World of Darkness conference in Berlin, Germany. And I made some connections there um, uh, with the Paradox team officially. I, I had known the organizers of Enlightenment and Blood, which was this big, beautiful game that was played in East Berlin in like all these clubs they had written out into East Berlin. So you actually had to walk between them. And it was it was a great experience, had over 300 players. And it was this amazing, like immersive environment. It's one of the best LARPs I've ever played in. And we started working with them and we started those conversations and we said to them, hey, we want you, we want to try doing something like really bold and different <laughs> in the vampire LARP sphere. And they had already run like an Anarch game. Uh, they had run like a Camarilla style game with um, Convention of Thorns. And then we said, you know, that leaves one person. Uh, we'd like to do the Sabbat. And they were like, uh, are you sure? I'm like, oh, yes, we're very sure we want to do the Sabbat. <laughs> and I had happened to know a lot of people who went to horror LARPing and also with like haunted houses. And we started coming up with this idea of this rave out in the country that goes wrong because the Sabbat take it over and, you know, turn half the people into vampires and eat the other half. And it it evolved into this this concept and we we pitched it. They said, fine, you know, we're going to trust you to run this safely and sanely. And it exploded. And we're looking at our fourth run this year. And it's wow. been, uh, you know, 150 <laughs> plus players every single time. Yeah. Is this kind of repeat like repeating the same night, essentially, in question? Or is it? Yes. Right. Right. But it never has ever turned out the same. Oh, okay. That's interesting. Yeah. The overall beats have remained the same, but the characters... See, the thing is, you get a character, but we understand you're going to invest yourself into it. And so we get... And also, we operate by the, the theory that the human brain cannot contain more than four paragraphs of, at any time of character, right? Yeah. And you're going to invest your character, that character, with his own, like or their own power and your, your own personality when you get them. So they're going to be very, very different every single time. And, you know, we have people saying like, Hey, you know, I played, you know, the true believer last time, you know, they have titles like this, but your true believer was completely different than my true believer. Right. And the choices that are made, there's no way with the chaos of, you know, 160, 170 play characters interacting with each other is going to turn out the same way every single time. So how, how do you corral, how do you organize or make sure with 170 odd people uh, playing a game, how do you make sure that, you know, there's no sort of kind of personal conflict and, 
uh how do you keep things on track with that many people on board um so first of all it starts with culture it starts with uh presuming good faith it starts with telling people that if they don't respect their fellow players and they don't act appropriately i will kick their asses out um and beyond that if we're talking about like this the day to day, the the like how safe the event is we have um we have about a one for every t for every 10 players we have one out of character full-time security staffer and they patrol the event they have zones that they cover and they're always there and you can identify them at the event because they're wearing these high visibility vests that kind of make them stand out which strangely makes them easier to ignore because you immediately know what they are so you can just let your eyes go over them um and those people are there to make sure that everything that's happening is you know sane and consensual um it's funny though actually one of the places that we like studied on how to do that kind of safety system was we went to bd we we went to bdsm club training classes and i'm like oh if they can handle it, what they're doing we can handle what we're doing. It's, it's probably, <laughs> pineapple know. yeah pineapple <laughs> yeah exactly. they have like the, the, the whole the you know uh, hallmark of VDSM uh, is like safe in the consensual. Yeah, and it's very similar. Uh, it's a very similar ethos, though very different uh, event going on, right? Um, yeah. You know, we have baseline uh, rules like you know, no sexual contact of any kind, uh, yeah. nothing that can be perceived. That nothing a reasonable person would perceive as sex. Uh, yeah. No full nudity. Um, no real weapons. No firearms. Props. You know, all yeah. these sorts of things that, uh, you know, if you want to bring a weapon like prop, we check it at registration and we tag it much like and, you know, we make sure that they're both of the visual quality we want and safe. And so there's that baseline sort of thing. But also it's just like we have people there that are watching and making sure everything that is happening is uh, correct. Right. And within our 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 bounds of our rules uh we've got uh, we've got loads of comments going on in the on the on the, in the chat here but uh vancouver by night says um aftercare is very important i'm not sure what that means <laughs> uh aftercare also known as debrief so aftercare is more of a concept from bdsm but we have a con a related concept in LARP called debriefing which is, uh, and some people use the term aftercare, but it's basically you've gone through this really intense emotional experience and like your, uh, your lizard brain doesn't know the difference between a play experience and a real experience. So you find yourself being a bundle of these emotions. So we do things to help you kind of de-roll to kind of like get out of that headspace like um, at the end of the night in question, it's uh, we actually set this facade in front of the game site on fire. It burns down, right? And we call everybody gets evacuated from this rave site and stands outside of it, you know, a safe distance away. And everybody watches it while um, Don't Fear the Reaper plays. <laughs> um and afterwards, you know, that we play this heartbeat sound that kind of also began began the night. And we, you know, tell people to close their eyes, you know, basically tell them, listen, you know, you were a horrible monster. Now you need to be a kind person. And, you know, you had a great experience with everyone here tonight. And we encourage everybody to just turn like after this, like 
almost meditative scene place because watching something burn down is almost a spiritual experience into itself it just is yeah i've done burning man back in 2006 and that is like a full-on virtual experience yeah and so it's like helps you like close it close it bookends everything right and we help people and we tell everyone like turn and shake the hand and introduce yourself as a person to the people around you and that helps people de-roll and people stand in this field outside of this rockabilly rave site that we have in the middle of the crown texas you know we have lights and all that stuff going on but they stand there for 30 minutes an hour just hugging people talking to each other and basically like really cementing this idea of a community together because you've just gone through this experience where there was a blood rave and there was uh, you know people were murdering each other and screaming and being horrible and all this stuff and at the end you know it's like okay now it's time to be a, a person there's um johanna johanna peterson actually said if you're gonna play in a world of darkness you have to have an out of character world of kindness uh, i butchered that quote but it's it's really important to to me to have a situation where we can do this dark stuff because out of character we trust and support each other it's, i mean that, the way you describe the night in question it, it feels a lot like that first scene in blade the original yes. blade fame yes like, when you when you said blood i thought i know exactly or the showers of blood yeah exactly have you do you actually have the showers of blood or Yep, that's something that happens in the third act. Is that, that we actually have a fantastic. blood? That sounds fantastic. Yep, we go through a fifty-five gallon drum of blood in order to wow. do that. Actual, yeah, actual blood, like pig no. blood and stuff, or just sort of. Uh, no, it is. Uh, it is a mixture of non-staining. Uh, it's made out of food gelatin, water, and tempura paint, or children's poster paint, as you might know it as. Yeah, and it's a uh, it's a mix that we 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 use because you don't want to use real blood that's disgusting and also expensive <laughs> yes <laughs> we're not trying yeah we might be we, we might be pretty hardcore but we're not that hardcore wow this is some wacky stuff right i here, mean man. um i would love to do that i mean we, as far as i'm aware we don't have anything like that in the uk at the moment i do know um there is a what what they're calling a premier larp uh, vampire larp coming up in next year um the name is blanket on organized by giovanni the last supper exactly that's it that sounds quite good but i am going there i'm going there orion and sable yeah yeah sable who run it are fantastic very different feel that is a renaissance political larp which is set where people are auctioning off like magical humans to vampires for the embrace so very very different than this 1998 like splatter punk horror experience a very different experience yeah like i said like i said like other than what's coming up in next year we've not had anything like that in the uk um so I mean, was there any chance that well, have you have been tempted to kind of migrate the Latin question to the UK? If we could find the site and some partners to do it with, I would love to pitch that to Paradox. Like, okay, I'll start looking for sites tomorrow. Okay. <laughs> hey, <laughs> if you have a warehouse somewhere that you know we could all get rigged up in, I would more than I would love to run it in the the UK. That would be fantastic. Well, you've got very loads of uh, every 
one of the main sort of kind of industrial cities like Birmingham, Manchester. <laughs> they're going to have Derby. Yeah, Derby's where Just I live. make sure it's someplace that's halfway safe to walk at night. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. I think to be honest, I think 170 LARPers turning up and it's like we'll just scare everyone. <laughs> So I can imagine some hard types just still looking in a bunch of people dressed as vampires being covered in blood and just saying, uh, nah, not this one. <laughs> <laughs> I have done LARP, like what's called parlor LARPs in the UK, uh, basically where like the you know, vampire, um, the mind's eye feeder system, uh, it's sent back in the day when, um, just, just before it closed down back in the 2000s. Um, Pretty much every city in the UK had their own lot vampire lot group, and I was part of the Sheffield one. And every now and then, this rather lost patron of a pub would wander up into the um, into the into the function <laughs> room, take one look at what was going on, at all these bizarrely dressed people, turn slightly pale, and just walk back straight back down again. Do you know what? <laughs> I I actually think people because like I, I I've I've. Well, to be honest, most of the girlfriends I I have are are all non nerds, non geeks, and I've taken some to like comic cons and things like that, and they see these people dressed up or doing something different, and their their first sort of thought is maybe this is weird, but then they get completely sort of engrossed by it. And I remember one of my exes turning around and going, "I'm just so amazed by this whole thing. It's just like I just love people watching." So I reckon. If you had something like that, because you have like in, in Manchester, you have the Comic Con in London and stuff like that, and you've got people wandering around in all kinds of getups, um, and I reckon people would actually quite enjoy it. I think it would be, you know, you know, you you get you get your yeah. obviously you well, get the old person who was um, you know doesn't doesn't grasp it, but I reckon. Well, in the night in question, we get people that are like, you know, have bloody necks and are getting attacked with chainsaws and are screaming bloody murder <laughs> right. because it's this very like Texas Chainsaw Massacre sort of vibe going on in that game where people are just like, OK, towards the end of the night, it's uh, it's what I like to call participatory horror where, you know, you get to be the terrible person. And uh, we have. We have players who have volunteered to simply be the extra who dies over and over again to be victim number four in this in the story. And they love it. They have a lot of fun just dying over and over again and going through and and having those those giving those moments to other other characters where it's like, OK, you're a vampire now. Now you get to be a you know, like mass feed on one person until they're dead and stuff like that. So in, you know, we've had people who've showed up with like Aztec scream whistles and things just to make horrible noises with. So <laughs> it's, uh, it's an interesting, it's an interesting experience. Reminds me of the film near dark as well, actually. Oh yeah. I love that film. Near dark. Also, is fantastic. Yeah. It's fantastic. Absolutely. Fantastic. Better than near dark ones. from dust till dawn yeah. blade. Those are, if you, if you keep those in mind, you're, you're yeah. absolutely on the right track. Yeah. Oh, that's nice. I mean, I, I remember like back in the day, um, that the, there'll be like some core players of vampire, but there'd be people there who would spend them just as much time watching what was going on yeah. as the word playing, just because they enjoyed watching the drama unfold. Yeah. 
And I think that's important for the theatrical experience of it all. Um, we're actually not just doing the Sabbat thing to uh, starting next year. We're going to start doing Elysium Chronicles, which is the, another license event, which is going to be uh, completely different in the spectrum. It's going to be the Ancilla and elders of the Camarilla like going after each other. And it's going to that's that's going to be we have these like ballroom places that we're looking at renting. Um, it was supposed to start last year, but this. So this thing's been going on. You might have heard of it, which kind of was a damper on large in-person events. <laughs> <laughs> Just a little actually, bit. Yeah. Actually, you say Camarilla. In the UK, we call it Camarilla. So have we been saying it wrong the entire time? Uh, so it's both ways. Okay. Uh, the, it is pronounced both ways. I say Camarilla because I I come from a part of the country where there's a lot of Spanish speakers. And so I see a Spanish word like Camarilla and it's like, okay, it's pronounced like tortilla. But some people say Camarilla. So it's both ways. And I've always, when I personally run games, if you're playing more of an old world sort of vampire who would be familiar with Spanish in the double L, I always say Camarilla. And if I'm playing a more new world vampire you know american sort of one i always, I always say camarilla but okay. my default i always fall to is camarilla that's fair enough okay yeah actually and you also mentioned covid and the big c word so it's been decimated the larp scene for two years now fingers crossed things seem to be calming down at last or at least be not as bad yeah um like you no know, Cases in the UK, for example, cases are still high, they're dropping, but they're still quite high, but the hospital admission rate is way down and the, you know, fatalities are way down. So it seems like we're into kind of more transmissible, but less severe variant, <coughs> which maps out the, the most life cycle. And well, most virus. Off there. <laughs> yeah, sorry, uh, my apologies. <laughs> now, what's going to happen for uh, Jackalope this coming year? So last year we actually did run the third oh. run of the night in question, but we did it. It was vaccines required. We did it in September and we had zero cases. Nice. Um, and we were, we did uh, fever checks at the door. We had infrared camera for doing that. And we managed to do that. I'm hoping by the time, uh, you know, next September, next game comes up, we are going to, be ready and uh, things seem to be winding down in the correct direction at that particular juncture. So, I mean, obviously if, you know, the uh, super Delta Omicron transformer variant comes out <laughs> and we, you know, and, you know, we're current, we're fighting zombies, you know, at the end of next year, that's, that's entirely, but I think flexibility is really uh, key there because we canceled this was this would have been um, this we were supposed to do it the year before when we did it and we ended up canceling it. It was really heartbreaking. Um, so this year, last year we did it vaccination required. And this year we just have to see what works. We just have to stay on our feet and bless our players. They have been very understanding. They have been very, uh, very understanding of what's going on. And they understand that it's a difficult thing to run during this time yeah i mean i mean matt and i were at the uk games expo the big uh board gaming and role-playing game um convention in birmingham was it july 
I think it was July. And yeah, it was masks on the entire time. You had COVID tests. You had to show you have COVID tests. You had to be vaccinated. And there were pings. But as far as I'm aware, it was just, you know, we, we were notified on the NHS COVID-19 app that there'd been close proximity to someone. But as far as where there was no kind of major outbreak said. Yeah, we had zero cases, which is fantastic. Yeah. Everyone was very, very safe going to and from the game. And usually, like, we like supporting this town called Bastrop, which is the one that's closest to the site that's out in the country. And that's where we stay and our, we do our workshops. And we like taking our players out to a restaurant and bar and, like, you know, supporting the town in that way. But this year we ended up doing, a, we bought, like, $300 worth of barbecue and just did it at the hotel. And we did a buffet style, but had everyone mask when they're at the buffet. So, you know, no one's breathing on all the food and that sort of stuff. So when that happened, that that's the kind of precautions we took. And it really, really paid off. I don't know if we would have done that if with the Overcron variant doing what it was doing. Yeah. Uh, so it's always like going with your conscience, being like, you know, being a good person and understanding what's going on and making the best best judgment you can at that point. And uh, I only decided to go forward with it after my my stepson actually works for the uh, Pennsylvania Department of Health with their vaccine program. <laughs> so uh, he's like only two steps away from the director of the CDC and he has a you know, not to get into it, but basically has a master's in biostatistics. And I had a conversation with them and said, OK, at this particular juncture, if everyone is vaccinated, is it safe to run an event like this? And then he said to me, it's no worse than uh, your your chances at that point are with everyone vaccinated. Uh, that's you could in good conscience run it. Yeah. Um, I don't think he would have said the same thing during Omicron because Omicron decided to be a Trixie Hobbit. Uh, yeah. yeah, like like, yeah, like I'm a freelance journalist and I've been covering um, COVID for the BBC, and I've got and I've been lucky enough to speak to um, various uh, virus experts, and I think kind of it was almost expected that something like Omicron would come along, but they never expected it to be that transmissible. Yeah, it can be milder, but not as transmissible as they expected it to be. Yeah. But like I said, I'm not an expert, but I just yeah. decided to defer to experts. Yeah. And we have we had medical people and, and yeah. people who were involved in public health who basically said, if you did 100% vaxxed, if you're doing fever checks, and most people are like isolating uh, before and after the event, you are you you can do this. And that's that was the moment in which we said we're going to go ahead and do it. That's nice. I mean, like Jackalope sounds a lot to me more of a holiday. Like a themed holiday, like you no, know, oh like yeah, weekend break rather than just going to a lab. Like you see, like you know, there's hotels. You take them out for meals, and it feels a lot like you know, a, you know, most of see like business class. This feels like you know, like a standard class. This feels like business class, high end. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's basically like a little mini convention or yeah. like a court. It's almost like a retreat of sorts, right? Where you know, on Friday, we have a big meal together on Saturday afternoon. Everybody is getting doing workshopping and character stuff together. And then there's this big night for six hours where we just go full throttle. And uh, then, you know, on Sunday, you know, people have, uh, 
there's a brunch that everyone goes to on Sunday or most people go to on Sunday that are not flying out. And it's just a great time, 100%. And it's becomes kind of, it really reinforces this community. And we have this uh, fantastic group of players that have been built up over the years, not just for this event, but for our other ones as well. Um, talking about um, uh, lockdown and COVID, uh, you, you said you're quite big on, on, on TikToks, like one of your main sort of, kind of platforms. <laughs> it was, that, was that like everybody else who's joined TikTok because of lockdown was... That's how you started. I was on TikTok before just doing like cosplay stuff with friends of mine who were far away from me. And it was just a way of sharing stuff um, with LARP friends that I wasn't seeing very much. And then lockdown happened and like, you know, it, it, it became more and more of a thing. And just some things that I did took off and I became like one of the Vampire the Masquerade guys on TikTok. It was a lot of fun. Because they've got their own little sections, don't you? So you've got like D and D TikTok, you've got uh, gamer TikTok, you've got sort of history TikTok and things like. That. I I listen to the history ones, the D and D ones, obviously the dog ones because of my dog. Um, so there's lots of little sort of kind of catered areas, little areas mm-hmm. for you on the. Did, did you were you a part of the uh, the Vantalord and um, Rogue um, <laughs> debate? On which side? On uh, which side did you take? Uh, as storytellers, we remain neutral because we both <laughs> we both maintain order and chaos. So, uh, as CTO of VTM Talk, as we're known of, I was asked about it when I declared <laughs> us as neutral parties in the conflict because obviously we had to be arbiters. <laughs> <laughs> uh, be, being in in, in in dog TikTok, I um I I just kept kept myself out of it to be honest but uh, <laughs> what's your biggest what's your biggest video how, how many uh, how many views what what's the most viral thing you've done? Uh, the most viral thing i've done recently is i simply found dice that don't have the pips in the correct order that the, the they're the think twice dice by west studio and i simply rolled them and they said i'm not going to apologize for this and all the pips are in chaotic formations oh. <laughs> and I just said, and everyone is like, you monster. And I think that has 300,000 views and 2,000 comments, most of which are like, you will apologize for that right now. (laughs) That caused me physical pain. It's mad how you sort of random stuff. Like, um, like I, I started my, I started TikTok on lockdown simply because my ex at the time was just like, let's do some things together. Nothing happened. And it got to the point where, like, you know, nobody was interested in a beardy Irishman sort of, you know, doing quotes from Anchorman and stuff like that. It just wasn't doing anything. And then I put my dog on it, and it just went, boo, just, like, skyrocketed. Like, we got up to 30,000 followers, and then one day I put a video on of him coming in from the snow, and it hit 13.1 million views, and, like, Jesus. God, like, and all he was doing was me opening the door to him. He was in the snow. He makes this little whimper because he doesn't want to be in the snow. And then he comes in and he shakes. And that's it. That's it. 13.1 million views. And it's just like, that's, that's insane. That's mad. The most weirdest, uh, the weirdest stuff goes big. Like I did a video just discussing vampires and werewolves and their relative power levels in the world of darkness. And that <laughs> blew up to hundred hundreds of views or hundreds of thousands of views. And I think maybe 10% of the people there understood I was talking about the world of darkness and the rest of them were like arguing about it, uh, you know, 
it like for real. And I'm like, this is a tabletop game, people. <laughs> yeah. so, I don't know what fight you think I'm starting. <laughs> but it's like you get loads because I'm a massive uh, Warhammer fan and stuff. So you've got the guy who's um, arguing that how Star Trek, how the Enterprise could take on um you know the 40k universe and there's oh, like there's guy. yeah there's yeah. so much stuff going on like you know like how the enterprise would you know with the science at all and would would do this that and the other and all the 40k nerds are going fucking mental because you know this this star trek fan dare say that the god emperor could be defeated by these pacifists and it's just like <laughs> I like the response that the Warhammer 40k universe would not get into a fight with Star Trek because Star Trek would declare them a non-warp-capable civilization uh, and that's yeah. covered, and that's covered yeah. by the Prime Directive. Yeah, exactly. That's it, isn't it? Yeah. Brilliant. Oh, man. That's for some reason an even bigger insult than saying they'd win in a straight fight. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. It's a, it's a wacky world, TikTok. It really is. You were saying um, that you're not in the... Um, the what's it the the fund so you you don't get you don't get any money not that they pay very much to be honest oh and Pete is setting fire to his house at this moment in time well it's that sort of mood <laughs> gotta, oh, he's, he's muted himself okay. <laughs> I um, can understand setting fire to your house in this day and age <laughs> <thing. laughs> so um what what made you choose not to sort of kind of the creator fund that's it the creator fund uh basically i was told you're just under a lot more scrutiny and i don't need the money and i don't really am popular enough to actually care about it so i wanted to do crazy vampire stuff that might involve fake weapons and blood so i decided you know i'm not gonna put myself under the creator fund scrutiny <laughs> because they're weirdly they're they're weird about that stuff and fickle tiktok is a fickle god and exactly. something like you said random things blow up random things get like suspensions and stuff like that and it just becomes so much of a thing should, it's we, like, it's should like, we worry about him there's like smoke and ash <laughs> uh, i'm sure he's fine he's just got okay. you know, he's, he's the only man i know who he puts logs in the fire during podcasts and stuff he's so he's so quintessentially english <laughs> he's, <laughs> he's off grid except for his internet connection yeah, <laughs> but um the like you don't get you don't get very much like um I get like that video of of my dog Boromir. Um, he got I got seven hundred and fifty quid for that video alone. But you get two oh, p. Wait, wait, wait! You named your dog after the person who who dies. Boromir's. It's just he's a warrior. He's just sort of he's he's misunderstood. He's a bit of a pain in he's the a ass. He's a misunderstood okay. character, you know. I uh, mean, he's just maybe like your dog. dog after a Sean Bean character is just setting yourself up for heartbreak, <laughs> my friend. <laughs> but he's like he's my favorite character. I just I, I've always liked Boromir. I'm a massive Lord of the Rings fan, uh, and I've always I always told myself if I'm gonna get a dog. He's going to be a Gondorian warrior. I'm going to call him Boromir, and that's that's what he is. Okay, Boromir, Boromir is a good boy. Faramir is the bestest boy, okay? <laughs> well, this is it, because my dog is a pain in the ass, and he's got lots of foibles, and he's got he's got lots of flaws, and that's why I like Boromir, because Boromir is a flawed character and stuff, whereas you don't want As this. long as we agree that Faramir is best boy, I'm, I'm, I'm good about that. I'm good about that. If Faramir does it, I don't think he gets a good showing in in the in the in the uh the films as he does maybe in the books so there's a bit he does there's a bit more to him in yes. the um in the books than there is in the uh in the film it's the same with denethor as well denethor is isn't portrayed overly like 
in the books he's a bit there's a bit more to him uh than there is in the series uh in the series in the um in the films but he's a jerk in both versions yeah 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 no uh this is now uh all tolkien uh character slander Um, but yeah, so you don't you don't get very much money in TikTok. You get two p, well, I guess two two to four dollars, uh, not dollars and cents uh, per thousand views or something like that. And you know, uh, you don't. And like you said, you're very much open to scrutiny. So there's a guy, uh, TikTok Jesus, uh, Scotty Warteth, who's um, yeah. Who's yeah, I know him. Been on the podcast before, um, and he's perpetually getting banned, and um, you know, people just on him all the time. And I know a fair few people who have just been banned for stupid stuff. Like I had a, I had a video taken down for unknown reasons, and I, I still to this day don't understand why it was taken down. But it was just like it was against. I the used policy. to do history videos, and I stopped just because I got tired of of That's people it. getting really, really nasty about it. I, like really nasty. I did. Like, I, I just pointed out the T thirty four was an awful tank, and all the all the Soviet fanboys came out to, to rail on me. I'm like, it was an awful tank. They admitted it was an awful tank. It was there to last for two battles and then die. And they're like, no, 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 no. The Stalin is daddy. And I'm like, oh, you people. <laughs> See, I I did um like I've got a like I've got one for Geek Pride, which doesn't have very many because I don't spend a lot of time on it. I've got a history one, which has got maybe like five thousand views because I get I did a military history degree so history is a big thing for me but I've had so many videos taken down because I've I've obviously mentioned stuff like I I was talking about um the evacuation in, in Dunkirk uh the, the Dunkirk the miracle of Dunkirk and stuff and I mentioned Hitler and obviously that got muted and got sort of like kicked taken down yeah and stuff. And you have to, yeah you have to call him funny mass mustache man yeah <laughs> uh yeah and it's just all sorts of stuff like that but you agree as a military history historian that the t-34 was a terrible tank yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah the guy who, the guy who uh, created it um stalin basically told him to sort of drive it to them and he, he nearly died doing it because it was just like there was no heating and it was middle of the winter and the tank just about made it um <laughs> it was just yeah i can't even remember the name the name of the guy but yeah uh, yeah yeah do love a good do love history what's your favorite area era Oh, uh, I like actually. If you had, it's not an era. It would be a topic. My favorite thing is the history of food. That is my favorite topic because it's amazing how much history is told through food, and what people eat and when and all that. Like, uh, but if I had to pick an era, I'd have to say Roman. Roman history is my jam, or just the classical era in general, in classical Europe. Yeah. So I although. Did- I have a, I do have a soft spot for the Sumerians. Oh, I really okay. do like the Sumerians. <laughs> so I, so I kind of could agree up doing sort of. Obviously, I was a massive Sean Bean fan, so Sharp was a massive thing for me. So Napoleonics, I grew up doing Napoleonics. So I did when I did my degree, I did stuff on. Um, I only know about Sharp because I, I've seen some clips on YouTube, but it seems to be a much bigger deal over in the UK than it awesome. is here. Everybody yeah. loves Sharp. Yeah, he's, yeah. A, he's a man's man, and he doesn't die as well. So it's just like you know, Sean Bing's one of the main characters he's played for many years, and and he didn't die. So you know, excellent. Yeah. <laughs> it's worth the watch. Definitely worth a watch. Um, so I did Napoleonics, uh, World War Two. Uh, we did a bit of Vietnam. 
and stuff. Um, and then I sort of, after university, that's when I started getting into my classical stuff because I was very much, my, my father used to tell me stories about the Spartans and about uh, classical Greek sort of stories. And then after university, I started getting really into, deep into sort of, uh, there's an author called uh, Tom Holland who does mm-hmm. um he does persian fire he does uh the rubicon uh he does um loads of classical stuff and he's so good so good the books are just amazing and it just completely he writes them in a way that it's it's narrative but it's in a sort of storytelling sort of way and it's really sort of easy to digest and uh i always liked uh, harry turtle dove he was one of my favorite authors, if you've ever read any of his stuff, which is alternate history. And, but he's also a historian, so he does very well thought out alternate history. Like, uh, and, you know, also just off the wall stuff. Like, but he does very well realized characters who are based on real people. Um, but I made the completely rational decision to become a Latin student in high school, and I did six years of Latin. Uh, so. And I got to the point where you were just translating like primary texts <laughs> and stuff like that. Like you were just translating the Aeneid and all that. And a lot of the Latin textbooks are also history textbooks because they teach you about, you know, Roman civilization and daily life and that sort of thing. And so we did all that kind of stuff. And that's where I got my love of like Roman history. But uh, this really speaks to like kind of my live action stuff actually is that I've always been more interested in day to day life. Like I never cared so much about how much general what General X did or Emperor Y did so much to be like, how did a Roman go and make money? How did they go buy a loaf of bread? What did they do? You know, what was it like to actually live in that time as part of the other 99 percent of the population? And I've always found that way more fascinating as kind of a realization. Um, One of the books that I really appreciate like that is Salt, a World History, which is just about like how important salt was to the ancient world and to ancient uh into ancient economies and how spy masters would watch salt markets in order to determine who was going to war and these like little touches you know one of my favorite things i've used both in larp and just as a history book is there's a book called fantastic feasts which is just about like the surviving like medieval and early renaissance uh recipes that we have for food and it really talks about like how to make dandelion soup and things like that. And I love those kind of slices of life. One of the things I loved about uh, the HBO uh, HBO shows Rome and Deadwood oh, is so there was good. yeah there was that that had such an emphasis on how do these people live yeah. <laughs> like not the big sweeping laws and declarations of war but what did you eat for breakfast you know what did you do from day to day what what did you expect from the world and that always like kind of informed uh you know when i did rpgs it was strangely informative because i would go through the i go through the trouble of describing things like this is how you slept this is how you woke up this is what you ate for breakfast you know to give that kind of more immersive feel to it and to make it feel like you're actually in a living breathing space you know did you drink coffee what did you drink instead of coffee you know that sort of stuff so what uh is there any sort of you obviously um the what was the name of the book about the the food the food book that you just said 
Fantastic Feast. Fantastic Feast. Who's that by? You know, it is by uh, fam- fa- I'm sorry, Fabulous Feast, Medieval Cookery. Oh, brilliant! Okay. And it is by Madeline Pelner Cosman, C O S M A N. All right, give that a whirl. Because it's yeah. true, you know. Because I obviously I did military history degree, so it was all you know battles and 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 fighting and stuff like that. But you're right. The some of the actual mundane day to day stuff is really interesting, um, mm-hmm. and I, I I'm like you like I watched I watched a a series about uh, medieval food, and apparently like salmon like you think about salmon now it's like a, quite a sort of posh sort of food but salmon was sort of what peasants would eat peasants would eat would eat salmon and stuff you know you know the mm-hmm. the, the upper class sort of. Um, kings and queens and lords wouldn't wouldn't eat wouldn't eat that and it was just lots of sort of weird stuff that you know back then you know they would um back then they would sort of have different views on what was posh and what wasn't and how like um the the elizabethans would sort of black their teeth out because they wanted to be seen as they they had lots of sugar so if they had black teeth it was because they were rich enough to have all this sugar and uh, if they if they couldn't sort of rot actually rot their teeth, they would black them out with uh, like whatever they could. One of the more amusing things a friend of mine did Renaissance fair uh, in California, and at the end of the uh, at the end of the Ren fair season, they would have a feast. And if you played a noble, you would eat noble food. And if you were uh, a, one of the guard or one of the peasants, you would eat peasant food or the guardsman's food. So all period appropriate food. So. The poor guardsmen and peasants were eating this high quality rye bread and this like sirloin and beef steaks and all these parts thing while the nobles had to eat things like pheasant and beef heart yeah. and <laughs> and head cheese and all these things that was considered very posh back then. Yeah, yeah. And it was almost almost a revenge uh, for having to like, oh, you want to eat like a king, huh? This is how kings actually ate. <laughs> well, we like um i've been to it a couple of times this place called kumabi which is sort of um down towards birmingham direction i think and uh they have this sort of medieval banquet night and you you turn up uh you you dress up in medieval garb um i've i've got uh, a load of stuff upstairs that i sort of dressed up in and you have an actual medieval banquet where they have like um period appropriate music they have entertainment and they come out with sort of like you know food that you would have had on the day uh, in, in, at the time it's amazing so good so much fun never had so much fun in my life it was brilliant and that's kind of a larp adjacent sort of thing and there's a lot of larps like the really immersive ones which will actually serve period appropriate rations and things like that it's very interesting like uh like uh dried meats and sweet meats and stuff like that Right. Uh, Sorry. I'd just like to apologise for the fire alarm going off. <laughs> Literally, we just had um, the latest storm come down from Scotland, and I've had a load of smoke, a load of wind go down my chimney and blow smoke out into the room. The fire alarms <laughs> went off. The kids woke up. Wife's in the shower, so I apologize for the interruption. Yeah, no, Matt, it's all right. Matt was it's like, right. Is he okay? Is this is this room actually on fire? There's smoke and stuff. <laughs> no, it was basically smoke venting from the uh, stove. And unfortunately, wife was in the shower, kids were in bed, like, 
down to me, so I apologise for that. That was really professional. <laughs> I've been doing this for two years now, and it's the first time it's happened, so sorry, I apologise. <laughs> <laughs> of course, I'm the one who gets it. Of course. <laughs> so um, when you're not when you're not LARPing, when you're not sort of organising. Um, your events and things uh what is what what else do you do what's your sort of what's your thing uh i'm pretty much a gamer geek all around you know i play especially under lockdown and covid i've been playing a lot of online games with kids uh friends uh valheim is a perennial favorite right now um i also play tabletop rpgs online with a bunch of my friends uh you know, I do Maze the Ascension, Vampire the Masquerade, World of Darkness. Yep. I like how uh, you mentioned Mage first. Well, actually, Mage is my favorite. Uh, yes. And Vampire is a close second, but Mage yeah. is my favorite of the World of Darkness books. Likewise, I've got my copy of Mage up there. Um, yeah, for me, that's always been my go-to game in the World of Darkness. Yep, right here. Very nice. Is that the M20 version? Yes, that is the brick. That is the 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 brick, the doorstop version. Yeah. <laughs> I love it to death, though. It is one of my favorite editions of it. Yeah, it's. Um, what was your take on V5? I liked it. Yeah, I do like it. Um, I like the I even I'm a huge Sabat fan and I even like the Sabat version of it. I think the rules are a lot more flexible. Yeah, I really like the hunger dice system. Exactly. I really like uh, that. It really captures more that you're a vampire trying to be human rather than you're a human with vampire powers, which I think was more of the feel of the previous editions. Um, I like that they cut back on a lot of the superpowers. Um I wish there was more material for it, but now they're coming out with more as time goes on. Uh, I really like the Sabat guide and how they've kind of, kind of reimagined again as a boogeyman. Um, so overall, I liked it. I mean, obviously, there's some things that, you know, I'm not one or uh, that wasn't 100 percent with me. Um, the character creation could be a little bit more streamlined and uh, the, the main rule book could deal with some reorganization, I think. But for the most part, I really liked fifth edition. And I think coming out with fifth edition was really important for the for the brand. I think that it made it relevant in a lot of ways to yeah. the newer market. It was very much a reboot without being a reboot, I feel. Like, it brought everything back to down to the street level, where before it's oh, got yeah. more like global trotting. And it kind of stripped back down all the powers just to basically being the basic ones. So you mm -hmm. weren't kind of picking a clan just so you could get that in discipline. Well, no, it's not, it's not that simple. Yeah, and I think that the stripping down, but also making the disciplines more modular was very, very yeah. cool. I like that, you know, the disciplines have a little bit more flavor and flexibility to them. Um, I really like the amalgam disciplines that they've come up with uh, and how they've had, like, a lot more kind of one-shot sort of powers for things like vicissitude. I really like the... Um, the Zemisi uh, rewrite was really yeah. good. I really liked how they did that. And uh, I, the only thing I'm, I, I would like is I would like there to be a V5 Dark Ages. I yeah. really would like there for to be a V5 Dark Ages because I really like things like the hunger system and stuff. And I would really like to see that in like the, the Dark Ages setting is one of probably one of my favorites. And has some definite adherence so i'm looking for i'm i'm hoping that they they do something like that yeah i was surprised that um the fifth edition of hunter was announced as the next one and not mage but they seem to know what they're doing 
Yeah, I liked Hunter the new Hunter the Reckoning, and I did not like the old one at all. Yeah, at all. Where they've uh, like, as you know, with the original Hunter the Reckoning, they're like angel, like imbued semi-magical creatures that have help from angels and then the new hunter of the reckoning they're more sam and dean they're more just they're just humans and you know they're good at what they do but they're they're just humans so it's much more like the original hunters hunted supplement than like hunter the reckoning but i really like their approach where you're playing like outsiders not members of any of the big organizations who are just trying to you know right wrongs and deal with the monsters that go bump in the night <laughs> have you ever have you ever watched the ultraviolet tv series uh i have seen two episodes of it but it was way more of a british thing than an american it thing. was very much a british thing yeah. yeah that was that was kind of very much um humans vamp- human vampire hunters and basically like they were kind of a government sanctioned um uh, basically, vampire hunting agency, uh, but they never use the V word. It's always just code fives. Yeah, and then uh, V five, they call them blank bodies. Exactly. So I like the way they, I like that where they don't actually explicitly call them that because to call them vampires would be insane. <laughs> yeah, right. and would get us all sorts of weird looks at the meeting. But we can call them blank bodies all they want. Exactly. You know? Exactly. So yeah, I mean. I think again, I think we kind of hijacked the conversation about. So, what do you do to relax? I mean, like mentioned, like you stream games. I like, know what do you do to put your feet up and chill out. Oh, I uh, definitely. I just I I'm a big fan of the comic books. Um, oh. I'm reading Grant Morrison's The Invisibles for the first Very time. Very good. On yeah. first time. Wow. Okay. That, yeah, that's, I missed that's it when it first came around. I have a massive, like thousand-page, like omnibus oh, that someone wow. convinced me to buy um and i huge there's a really good actually a really good vampire comic book called Philadelphia, which i can really recommend Um, yeah um and i really like most of the like the vertigo in brent you know i'm a huge fan of sandman uh hellraiser not hellraiser hellblazer Hellblazer. yeah yeah um i typically watch the junk the um john constantine tv series on here prime no, I have not. Though That's I was actually... one of the few, I, I I'm one of the few people who actually really liked the Keanu Reeves movie. I liked it as well. I I, yeah. people, I, I liked it. And you know what? He was on he was on TV. Uh, uh, what was on one of the talk shows? He was saying he would love to do another one. <laughs> I thought it was really good. I you know I it, I, it, I, it, I thought it was, it was really a very good. good supernatural action film. Yeah. Yes. If that's just if you had no hopes going into it, it was a good movie. Yes, it's it's right up there with Starship Troopers. It's just you just <laughs> material, and yeah. it's a great movie. <laughs> do you want to know? Yeah, more? I go with that one. Yeah, yeah. Oh, do you love Starship have Troopers? You, have you read um, the Adventures of uh, Luther Arkwright, Brian by Brian Talbot? No, I have not. Check that one out. That is a okay. really good uh, graphic novel. And uh, I'm a big fan of most Alan Moore stuff. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, Clive Barker, Damnation Game. Oh, that yeah. That sort of thing is really good. I find myself reading. Uh, uh, currently, I'm actually rereading Interview with a Vampire. When Anne Rice passed, I was like, I haven't read that in yeah. mm, a decade. So I started rereading that. And I was actually struck with just how good it was. Like, it's just a very entertaining book um outside of like you could talk about how influential it was and how much it really like you know changed like vampires forever in our mind 
but beyond that like like be like underneath that you know and i'm struck by this rereading it it's just a very well written entertaining book uh involving really great characters yeah it was a very powerful novel i mean and it's only become you know more popular as time gone on yeah, yeah. I mean, it, most people don't appreciate that it kind of sat there and didn't do anything for six years until it just kind of exploded for I no did. apparent reason. Yeah, absolutely. But it just kind of like lurked for quite mm. a while. Yeah, and then in the eighties it took off, and then there was the movie, and I believe there there's an Amazon series is coming up for it. Yeah, I mean, there's also a comic series as well by Innovation as well. There's, I think there's been several comic book treatments of at least the okay. Vampire Universe. There was a gorgeous The Vampire Lestat book back in the 90s, I know, that I have a copy of. Oh, yeah. by, it must be by Innovation, because I remember reading them and just thinking, I want more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's just fan. Uh, so uh, I didn't really get deep into, like, the Anne Rice lore. I only wrote yeah. the original trilogy, you know. But I've I've really enjoy uh, just reading and, you know, I kind of live and breathe games for the most part. I come from a long family of bridge players, chess masters and, and pool sharks. So oh. <laughs> I've always. Uh, oh, oh, yeah. Uh, my uncle uh, is a national championship pool player. My uh, grandfather, father, are either masters or grandmasters at chess. And one of my great uncles got shot on a riverboat for cheating at cards. Wow. <laughs> he survived. Well, do you know what? When you say like uh, pool sharks, it always reminds me of that episode of um, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air when uh, Uncle Phil goes to the uh, goes to the pool hall and mm-hmm. uh to sort of because um will's being scammed by this pool shark and like uncle phil's you know acting like he doesn't know how to play pool properly and then he says oh i'll uh I'll, you can win your money back and he's like jeffrey break out lucille and he gets his own cue out and then just starts playing it's like so good such a good that line. was my uncle that was my <laughs> uncle he was uh he was uh, he had his own ivory handled pool cue Wow. Antique ivory handle pool cue. And he was uh, one of the best players in the world uh, by all people's Whoa. standards. Yeah. He beat not, he beat world champions and took their money because they thought <laughs> they could <win. laughs> But that was how he made his money. He hustled pool. And he uh, he took me to them sometimes. I could tell you some stories about watching my my uncle get his get thrown out of pool halls because he he took the wrong person for the wrong amount of money. Whoops. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I believe the phrase is that you can shear a sheet many times. You can only skin it once. (laughs) (laughs) And he had a habit of skinning sheep when he shouldn't. Whoops. Oh man, I love, I love when you've got sort of like um, interesting familial sort of anecdotes and stuff. You know, um, my my dad's side of the family sort of, um, there's not loads, bar my uh, great granny uh, was boarded by a U-boat. She used to work on a, um, <laughs> like, uh, used to work on a um, a medical ship in World, World War One because she was a nurse. And uh, she's got a photograph, there's a photograph um, of the U-boat that boarded her. And it turned out that the one of the guys they were caring for was the son of the U-boat captains uh, of the U-boat captain, uh, and he came on wow. board. So stuff like that's just amazing. I love it. That's weird. That's amazing. Yeah, that's crazy. 
and I've got another one that's like uh this is my mother's side of the family so they're all like um like they're all uh come from Nor- Norman descent so they're all the crosslands and they sort of like came over from the Norman conquest and sort of settled the uh, sort of co- con- conquered England basically um but his family um and I can't remember what side it was on if it was uh during the war of the roses but basically if it was lancaster or uh, or, or york but basically um one set of them yet lancaster or or uh, york um came into this uh, my 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 mother's side of the family's uh ancestors um uh, like uh it would have been a keep I mean, it would have been a keep or it would have been a, a fortified house of some sort yeah and they basically killed everybody bar the <laughs> bar the son and the daughter and they basically ate food at the table um and left and the, the whole thing is the son apparently waited till he was older got himself a retinue of uh of guys and ambushed the um ambushed the guys who sort of killed his family and killed them all and i was just like wow <laughs> i don't i see all my family was blacksmiths dirt farmers and <laughs> uh like the the only interesting story that i have besides like very very old ones is my grand my great grandmother fixed breakfast for the outlaw jesse james no way. <laughs> they wrote up they politely asked if they she had anything to eat and she fixed them breakfast <laughs> so no so no members of the family who were at the alamo then or sort of oh no no all my family so all my family are germans they oh. came over and after the 1848 revolution where they were politely asked to leave by the Kaiser. <laughs> right, <okay. laughs> and uh, they, they, uh, they came over. And so they were well after the, the Alamo had happened, but they, uh, so I do have one family member who died in a armed inter- insurrection against the Confederacy. Wow. Okay. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, little known fact: the Germans in uh, Texas actually rose up in rebellion against the Confederacy. Wow, and my, right. okay. uh, a a family member uh, uh, died fighting the Confederate cavalry. So okay. that was the, the most interesting thing that happened. Definitely. Um, wow. well, uh, I can't remember his first name. Burns. Uh, the uh, Burnside. No, the not not the um the the histor- the, the guy who did the documentaries. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, something burns. Oh, it's gonna annoy yeah. me now. I can't remember. But yeah. that the American Kevin, Civil, yeah, it's the American, Kevin yeah, yeah. It, the the American Civil War documentary that he did is like one of my favorite all time documentaries. I can watch that over and over and over and over again. <laughs> I love it so much. So good. So yeah. Good. Yeah, I, I used to live near Gettysburg, and if you walk down there, they would have people playing Ashokan's Farewell, which is the theme from that all the time. And then all the historians say, you know, that's not actually a Civil War song. They made it up. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Ken Burns. Ken Burns, isn't it? Ken, Ken Burns. Burns. There yeah. you go. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. I was close. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so um, have you got anything coming up um, in the in the near future? Anything you'd like to tell us about? Uh, so uh, next year we're planning on doing Elysium Chronicles, and we're also probably going to do Cyberpunk again soon. I have uh, we're going to be announcing our schedule for this year in on February first. So if you want to check us out on Jackalope Warp on both Facebook and Twitter, you'll see announcements coming through on there. 
uh, about our upcoming events. So they're dropping. So that will contain information about the night in question and all that sort of stuff. Obviously, this is going to be a pretty light year for us um, because we're giving the uh, we're giving the brush fire to a little bit to time to to snuff out um, as far uh, meaning COVID. And uh, we are going to kind of be tentatively kind of restarting everything uh, starting February 1st. So and that's where you get all that information. I look forward to hearing about that. And we're waiting for Pete to find a venue in the UK. Uh, <laughs> centralized, centralized Pete. You know, you well, I'm not the only person who's offered to track down a location for us. I'll have to be honest. Like, <laughs> I do know of at least one abandoned Wireworks factory. About okay. five miles from where I live, which okay. actually has a public footpath running right through it, so it's dead, really easy to access. Problem is, when you have all these abandoned, it's like health and safety and stuff, isn't it? There's, you know, you're gonna have put any event on, especially in the UK. There's health and safety to the eyeballs. You know, there's none of this sort of. You know, yeah, yeah, walking tetanus factory. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> complimentary side of asbestos. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. But if you can find a rave warehouse that we can use, that would work. There, there's um, the, there's UK rave in, um scene is still going strong. Trust me, there'll be one around. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. Uh, on that note, uh, we'll probably leave it. Um, thanks very much, Matt. It's been an absolute pleasure. Really interesting. I something you know, I I know very little about this part of your world and it's been very interesting um and um i'm it's something i would like i would like to sort of kind of uh know more about so um thank you very much for that thank you very much for having me it was a fantastic talk yeah it's been brilliant um so for myself i've been back geary uh for uh with me sorry as being peter ray Allison. Good night, everyone, and apologies again for the fire alarm. <laughs> uh, Good night, y'all. And uh, our special guest, obviously, uh, Matthew um, Webb. Thank you very much for having me. Cheers, guys. Thank you. Bye. Bye.